This is Reset. I'm Susie Ann, in for Sasha Ann Simons. And if you're just tuning in, we're talking about the future of abortion access and reproductive rights in the U.S. This comes amid reports that the Supreme Court is poised to overturn Roe v. Wade. Chief Justice John Roberts has now confirmed that the leaked draft opinion written by conservative Justice Samuel Alito is real. But he also stressed that it's just that, a draft that is subject to change before it's published sometime in the coming months. Even so, abortion is among the most contentious issues on the Supreme Court docket this term. Could Congress take action in the absence of Roe? Joining us now to discuss is Amanda Becker, a Washington correspondent for the 19th, an independent nonprofit newsroom. Amanda, welcome to Reset. Thank you for having me. So first, can you give us a sense of what could happen if, when SCOTUS overturns Roe v. Wade? Uh, I read that about half of U.S. states are already expected to ban abortion if Roe falls. That's correct. So essentially what will happen if this decision comes out as expected, because again, this was a draft, it could in theory change. If this comes out and they overturn Roe v. Wade, uh, the decision will be left up to the states. So there are um, about half of states that either have a law already on the books from in the past or have what's called a trigger law that will immediately go into effect in the event that Roe is overturned that will abor- uh, ban abortion in some form, whether it's uh, you know one of the early stage so-called heartbeat laws or something similar or goes even farther. So we will have kind of a patchwork of laws in this country, and depending on what state that you live in, uh, that will determine whether you have access to abortion care. Can you talk about some of the recent court cases that have paved the way for conservative states to restrict abortion access? So it's really gained steam this term in front of the Supreme Court. They um, have there was a really restrictive law in Texas that people may have heard about Mm -hmm. that essentially empowered everyday citizens to turn people in for either um, getting or aiding someone in getting an abortion. The court kind of declined to intervene at several points. Um, In that case, um, it's technically still the merits are still outstanding, but there are kind of procedural uh, intermediary steps in which the court can say, you know, we don't have a good feeling about this law. So while we're considering it, we'll, we'll, you know, say that it's not in effect. They they didn't do that in the Texas case. Mm -hmm. Um, So this court uh, really changed balance um, last term under, you know, President Trump when he installed Amy Coney Barrett. And that really tipped the scales, um, especially on the issue of abortion on the Supreme Court. So we've really just in the past couple of years seen this gain steam because anti-abortion activists were feeling empowered, like they finally had the numbers on the court to challenge some of these laws. Now, you've written about Democrats calling for legislation to codify abortion rights into federal law. Uh, Why hasn't that happened? Well, Roe has been around for nearly 50 years, 49 and a half years. Congress has not codified it in that time. I think what's important to know, there's two things. So first of all, uh, the division in Congress on this issue does not reflect the electorate. So if you look at the electorate, the American electorate very consistently for the past 50 years has believed that 
people should have some form of abortion access. Now, people vary in terms of, you know, how late into a pregnancy they believe that people should have that right or under what conditions, such as rape or incest or something like that. But, you know, Americans do generally believe, the majority does believe in some form of abortion rights. We are at the point in Congress now where there is very little nuance in the parties. In the, in the House of Representatives, there is one representative who's a Democrat, Henry Cuellar of Texas, who is anti-abortion. He is actually in a primary runoff against a young woman named Jessica Cisneros next month or later this month, actually. I forget. Mm-hmm. It's already May. Yeah. Um, and so he's he's the last man standing among mm-hmm. the Democrats in terms of being opposed to abortion. On the Senate side, um, there are two Democrats, Joe Manchin of West Virginia and Bob Casey of Pennsylvania, who identify as being, quote unquote, pro-life, although they have at times supported some forms of abortion access. Mm-hmm. But for example, Joe Manchin did not support in February when the Senate took up a bill to codify Roe called the Women's Health Protection Act. Um, There are also two Republicans in the Senate, Lisa Murkowski and Susan Collins, who embrace some abortion rights. So, you know, the parties are really polarized on this issue at this point in time in a way that the American people aren't necessarily. And what's important to remember in terms of why they haven't been able to codify this up until this point, because again, right now, Democrats are in control of the Senate, the House, and the White House, is that this has been a relatively recent political realignment. Mm -hmm. It has happened within most of our lifetimes. Um, It wasn't so long ago when Bill Clinton was, you know, president in the 90s, Democratic president, Democratic Congress, that the mantra from Democrats was still fair, safe, and and, um, rare. So, and legal. So, you know, there's really kind of been a recent political evolution and polarization on this issue that has made it nearly impossible to codify it. Now, going forward, they just don't have the numbers. Uh, They need 60 Democrats in the Senate. It is 50-50 right now. Um, There are two Republicans who might embrace codifying Roe, but again, there are two Democrats who might not. That's why people might hear talk of um, changing the Senate filibuster Mm -hmm. rule, which requires 60 votes to pass most legislation. But again, it doesn't look like Democrats have the numbers to do that either. So we're kind of at a standstill. The House passed that legislation, the Women's Health Protection Act, earlier this year. Um, Again, it was filibustered in the Senate. And so everything has kind of ground to a halt. Well, it certainly sounds like there is uh, there could be an impact um, uh, on elections this year with this potential ruling? Yeah, you know, I would be really um, looking at, in particular, not only the competitive Senate races, because there's about a half dozen um, in states like New Hampshire, Arizona. I would also be looking at states where there are competitive governor's races this year in November, where they might have Republican-controlled legislatures. Because if you have a Republican state legislature, but a Democratic governor, they're going to be the backstop to prevent any um, further restrictions of abortion getting through in that state unless they get uh, the legislature gets a veto veto proof majority. Mm -hmm. Um, Conversely, um, states with Democratic legislatures that get a Democratic governor in a competitive race um, might be able to pass legislation on a state level to protect abortion access. So right now, with Congress at such a standstill, I do think we are going to see this play out in the states um, on both sides of this issue. Well, polls show that a majority of Americans support legal abortion. So how did this become a partisan issue? 
it was designed to be a partisan issue uh, back in the 70s and mm -hmm. 80s when anti-abortion advocates started using this. Um, abortion essentially rejiggered our political party. So it, uh, you know, it's what drove um, Catholic American voters um, more into the Republican Party for many, many decades. They were lo a loyal Democratic constituency. Um, for the first time, you saw Catholic voters aligning politically with evangelical voters over this issue. So while you know, the majority of Americans has changed, hasn't changed rather, in terms of supporting abortion access. This was used to um, kind of switch who identified with what party. And it was used really effectively by people who opposed abortion, I would say, to a greater degree than those who support abortion access. And we just have a few moments left here. Uh, but just to reiterate, this is a leaked draft decision, uh, not set in stone, but what should we be looking out for in the next few months about this decision? So we do expect the general expectation was that we would get the actual decision sometime in June, because that's when the court hands down a lot of its biggest rulings. Mm -hmm. um, so I would look for that to come out sometime in the next six weeks, probably. Um, it could. I don't know if this will affect the timing, if they might put it out sooner after this has happened. Um I would obviously be very interested if the if the vote tally changes and mm -hmm. for some reason one of the conservative justices does not end up signing on to this draft opinion that was leaked of Ali yeah. uh, Justice Alito. Um, also, I would be looking at some of the nuance. I mean, mm -hmm. there were a lot of footnotes in this opinion that could uh, affect marriage equality, yeah. that could affect access to contraception, um, that could affect a variety of things. I'm relying on what's known as the right to privacy that's not yeah. explicitly stated mm -hmm. in the Constitution but has been recognized. So, you know, this potentially um, could have a far-reaching yeah. impact that goes beyond abortion. Amanda Becker is the Washington correspondent for the 19th and Independent Nonprofit Newsroom. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for listening. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We've got more for you on the podcast, WBEZ's Reset, wherever you listen.